you have your Bibles with you, please open them up to 2 Samuel 11. Be reading verses 1 through 5. I will be reading from the King James Version. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in even, evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman, woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. Well, it is good to see each of you this morning. Appreciate your presence. Coming out and being with us, especially if you're visiting, we're glad that you're here with us today. Well, I'm not exactly sure how to turn this on, Martin, from up here. Oh, wait a minute, here we go. There we go. I apologize for that. How many times have we engaged in a task, taken a trip, or organized some kind of an effort... And after having completed the work, we look back and we assess the situation and we determine where we could have done some things a little better or where something completely went wrong or where, where we were satisfied with what we had accomplished. Now we need to do that, don't we? We need to sit down and we always need to review our efforts so that progress can be made in whatever endeavor that we are taking. Have you ever noticed though it becomes much easier to look back on something after the fact and determine whether it went well or whether it didn't go well. Well, that's just the way it is, isn't it? That's, that's how it normally goes. We have a term for that, don't we? Have you ever used the phrase, hindsight is twenty twenty? We look back into the past and for some reason, we're able to see so much more clearly than when it was happening at the present. Hindsight is twenty twenty, But that's the truth, isn't it? How many times do you think David looked back onto his life, especially concerning this passage that is under consideration, and just simply wished he'd gone back into the house? He'd just gone back into where he was, gone back to doing whatever it was that he was doing, and not continued to linger on that rooftop. Now that evening changed the life of David forever. 
and it almost cost him his eternal life. He sent someone to find out who she was. The messenger came back, said, Isn't this the wife of Uriah the Hittite? They came back and they said, She's a married woman. But that did not deter the great king, did it? He still called for her. She went to him. And we understand what happened after that. Hindsight being twenty twenty, and us being able to look back over history, it's clear to us that David saw some things from that rooftop. He saw some things that he shouldn't have seen. But I want us to talk this morning about some things that he did not see. There are some things that David did not see that escaped him. That was his fault. He chose to be blinded to some things that he should have noticed. But as David was walking on top of that roof, he did not see the most important things that he should have seen. To begin with, he did not see the crown. Oh, he was aware of his own crown. He knew of the authority that was vested in the king of Israel. That's why he could call a married woman to his bed. But he ignored the true crown. He ignored the crown that only the king of kings wore, our Lord. Instead of focusing upon Jesus or the Lord, instead of focusing upon God, Jehovah, he was being lazy, wasn't he? I want us to notice some things about him. This event took place during the days when kings were supposed to have been going to war. But where was David? David was at home. He wasn't doing his duty as the king of Israel. He stayed home when he should have been laboring with God's army. He should have been out doing what he was supposed to be doing. Now I don't know exactly why David did not go to work that morning. But I do know he didn't go. He wasn't where he should have been. And not only does that problem exist in our time today, we notice that from time to time, don't we? Someone should should be going to work. Someone ought to have a job. I can recall, and not just me, but I can recall the days of when I first was married, we were starting out. We all had more than one job. Right? So I look at someone and I say, you know, I had two or three jobs. You can't find just one job? We ought to be able to, right? We ought to be able to do that. God expects that. Paul addressed those problems, didn't he? Paul addressed idleness and laziness. There was a good reason for that. He addressed it not just with young people, but with older people. He said, you can't support a widow below 60 years of age. Why was that? Well, this is what he commanded. He said, But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their faith. He says, And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. 1 Timothy 5, 11-13 When we are not busy working whether it's our secular work or whether it is our spiritual work. We have too much time on our hands and plenty of time to get into trouble, don't we? That just seems to be a fact of nature. Gossip can be a very deadly activity 
to the body of Christ. This word from which the New King James Version says gossip is praetor or prater found in the King James. That means to talk long and idly. That's what that means. The word from which we get the word busybody means meddlesome. Meddlesome. And and, uh, it is called a part of the curious arts. Being curious. What do they say about curiosity? It killed the cat, didn't it? A person may begin a phrase with, Now I don't want to cause trouble. Have you ever heard that? Now I don't want to cause trouble. Someone may say, Now there are some things I think you ought to know. I can recall taking a work sitting in my office, hadn't been there for two or three days, I get a phone call from the previous preacher, and he says, I want you to go on a trip with me. There are some things that you need to know. I said, well, brother, if there are some things I need to know, I am sure I will discover that on my own. I certainly do not need someone gossiping to me about the things I need to know. Why is that so wrong? Why is that an issue? Why is it wrong to to go to someone and say, well, so-and-so did this, or so-and-so did that. I'm I'm hurt at so-and-so because this happened. Why is that wrong? It's not wrong simply because it causes strife, which it does, and that in itself would be sinful. But why is it wrong? It's wrong because it is contrary to the teachings of Jesus. I want us to notice what Christ said. He said, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. Matthew 18, 15. The one who wears the crown in heaven did not say, go talk to your best friend. Go see one of the elders of the congregation. Go tell it to the preacher. Go tell it to the person sitting in the pew next to you. That's not what the one who wears the crown said. He said, go talk to that individual and if you've got an issue with him, settle it with him or her, whatever the case may be. And what happens? Well, you've gained your brother or your sister. He didn't say go talk to someone else about it. I want to also notice though, Paul didn't just mention the idle hands of young widows. He mentioned the idle hands of family leaders also, didn't he? He said this, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 1 Timothy 5.8 God hates gossip and he hates laziness. David was being lazy. David was being lazy. And David became the source of some gossip, didn't he? Through his own fault. You know what God will do though? He'll allow our laziness to let us suffer from it. He'll allow that to happen. Solomon said, Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord, Proverbs 19.14. He also described a lazy person as someone who would put his hand into the bowl, 
but he was so lazy he wouldn't lift it up to his mouth to eat. Proverbs 19.24. That's pretty lazy, isn't it? I can recall one time Brother Curtis Cage said he was on a visit. He and some men with a congregation many, many years ago with, with whom he labored. And they were down in Alabama and they, they went over to visit this fellow. And he was sitting on the porch and they were going to bring some money to buy so he could buy some food for his family. The man was so lazy, he leaned over and he said, Can you put it in my pocket? Well, it's lazy, isn't it? He wouldn't even stretch out his hand. And I, I thought, there's no way someone wouldn't stretch out their hand until I read what Solomon said. You'll dip into the bowl and you won't even bring it to your mouth. That's lazy. That's idleness. David did not see that he was not working for God's chosen people like he ought to have been working. He was sending out other people to do his work, wasn't he? That is rampant in the world today. That's not what God has in mind. We can't do that with our spiritual work either. We have to do what we can do. <clears throat> now we may not be able to do what we once could do, but we can still do something. Each one of us needs to consider how we're working in the Lord's kingdom, don't we? We need to look at what we've been doing, look at our track record, look at the direction in which we're going and understand just because I'm sitting in a pew does not mean I'm working for God. We have members of our own congregation who cannot work like they used to work, but they're still doing something. Making a phone call or sending a card. And that's often more than most people, right? We remember the widow who gave all that she had. She had two mites. Didn't amount hardly to anything. But she gave it, God, or Jesus said, she gave more than everybody. Mark 12, 41-44. Well, it's evident that as David walked about on that rooftop, he could not see some things. He couldn't see the crown because he was lazy, but he couldn't see the crown either because his lust got in the way. When he walked out onto that rooftop, he saw this beautiful woman bathing, and he just simply couldn't take his eyes off of her, I guess. At that point, I know that he recognized that that was unlawful to him. David was not stupid. David was a very smart individual. He understood what God wanted. And in that very same moment, he should have run away from that. He should have gone back into his house. He should have gone back to doing whatever it was he was doing, which should have been going to war with the armies of God. Not sitting around the house idle. Now that same man who made such a poor choice at that time would later say that no, I will put no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Psalm 101.3 But that's exactly what sin does. It cleaves to you. It gets on you and it's hard to get away from it. We see this in what David did not see. John warned all of us. He said, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. It's of the world. 1 John 2.16 When we become a part of worldliness, we immediately are separated from God. Whether that's 
because we're not looking on the crown, because we're lazy, whether it's we're not looking on the crown because of our lust, but we are going to be separated. Isn't that what happened to the prodigal son? He allowed this world to enter into his life. He left the presence of the Father. He immersed himself in sin and he became separated and he lost everything that was dear to him. Luke 15, 11 through 32. Now it is true that David, as he walked upon that rooftop, did not see the crown. He saw his own crown. Now he didn't see the crown of God, the true king, But he also did not see the consequences that would result from the sin in which he was about to engage. Have you ever noticed that there is one thing very peculiar about sin? It does not only affect the one involved. It affects people. It affects other people. It affects those who are innocent. It affects those who know nothing about it. It affects people who have no clue what is going... Do you think that as Bathsheba bathed and David was on his rooftop looking at her, sinning, he was already sinning, that she knew anything about that? Do you think for a moment that she understood that her life was about to change forever and for the worse. No, she didn't know that. She had no idea what the great King David was doing as he was lusting after her in his sinfulness. Her life turned into one of grief and sorrow. He pressured her into committing adultery, which she did. She gave in to that. She should have resisted. She broke the promise that comes with marriage and the result was the loss of her self-respect, her fellowship with God, and the things that she held dear. And her husband was murdered. She had no idea that was going to happen. But David's sin did not just affect her, it obviously affected Uriah. Now, where was Uriah? Well, when David learned that Bathsheba was with child, she had gotten pregnant, Uriah wasn't at home. Why? Because he wasn't lazy. He didn't allow the the lust of his flesh to get in the way of he and and looking at the crown. Uriah had gone to war. He was working. So he brought Uriah home. He had to go get Uriah out of the battlefield. He had to go to work and tell Uriah, come on home for a few minutes. I need to talk to you. And what did he do? Well, he wanted Uriah to go to go back to the house. He wanted Uriah to go spend some time with his wife. So he would think this child was his. But Uriah wasn't having any of that, was he? He wasn't going to be dishonorable. He wasn't going to enjoy the comforts of home while his soldiers and his captains and those over which he watched suffered the pangs of war. He wasn't going to do that. So that interfered, didn't it? That didn't work. So David had to come up with something else. So what did he do? 
he put the bottle to Uriah's lips and he got him drunk. And then he sent him home. He said, surely, surely now that he's not thinking correctly, surely now that he's not being himself, that's a statement against David, isn't it? And really, aside from the fact Uriah got drunk, is a compliment for him. He had to be out of his right mind to not be an honorable man. But that's what he did. He sent him home and yet again he refused. Now since his loyalty to God, his loyalty to his fellow soldiers, and his loyalty to David could not get David what he wanted. He had to do something else. He sent the brave man back into battle. You remember what he told Joab? He said, put him on the front line. And then when it really gets tough, everybody just back up. Leave it for Uriah. David murdered Uriah. No doubt about it. David refused to see the crown of God. He refused to understand the consequences of the sin with Bathsheba. Now, not only was she an adulteress, she became a grieving wife over the loss of her husband. Do you see how sin affects everybody? It also affected an innocent child, didn't it? We remember that. Remember, that's what in David's mind was the problem. She got pregnant. If that hadn't have happened, we wouldn't have had a problem, right? Well, we had a problem. We see the most innocent of people suffer when we're not being faithful. After Nathan brought David to repentance, 2 Samuel 12, uh, 13, David learned that the child would not survive. 2 Samuel 12, 14 wasn't going to make it. The child was going to suffer, and he did suffer. For a week this child suffered in the sickness of whatever kind it was that had taken him because of David and Bathsheba. But then the poor baby was taken to the safety and the love of the Heavenly Father. 2 Samuel twelve fifteen. We can rejoice in at least that. Sin almost always affects the innocent though, doesn't it? Almost always. Almost without fail. When we're not the example to our children that we ought to be, that they're going to grow up most likely into what we've shown ourselves to be, aren't they? That must be heartbreaking. It must be heartbreaking. Now that can happen in in various ways. Sometimes it's worse than other times. But it's all bad. When we do not demonstrate our loyalty to God, our loyalty to our families, our loyalty to the brethren, our loyalty to the church, we should not be surprised when our children grow up and depart the faith and become what we do not want them to become. Paul commanded this. He said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment, with promise 
that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And then he just stopped right there. Somehow or another, these children are supposed to figure that out, right? No. That's not. Is there a responsibility upon our children to obey father and mother and to do that which is right? Yes, absolutely. Under the Old Testament, the law of Moses, if a child was disobedient, they might just be taken outside the wall and stoned to death. That's not like that under the New Testament. But how is it that these children are supposed to learn to honor their fathers and their mothers and to be obedient and fulfill this great commandment? Well, because we know, and Paul didn't just stop with the children. He said, And ye fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's how they're supposed to be brought up. There should never be an instance when a child would come to a parent and say, Are we going to meet with the Lord's people this Sunday? Now, didn't we go last Sunday? Hey, when they go to school and some of their friends say, We're doing something on Wednesday night. The child needs to have been trained well enough to say, I can't do that on Wednesday night. Well, you don't have to go to every single service of church, do you? Well, if we bring a child up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, they're going to understand. No matter where we are, whether we're on vacation or whether we're moving across town, or we're doing something else, when it comes to the first day of the week, we're going to be there. We're going to be there. We're going to meet with the Lord's people. That's what bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord is. At least that's part of it. David's sin also caused him to suffer in a very personal way. God told David this. Now listen closely. He said in 2 Samuel 12, verse 10, because of what he had done, because of the adultery he had committed, because of the murder he had committed, because of the loss of the life of an innocent child, the destruction of a marriage, dishonor brought upon God's people, he said, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because you have despised me. You've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. He despised God. How do we know that? Because he took the wife of Uriah for his wife. He murdered Uriah. He destroyed a marriage. He caused an innocent child to die. All of that was David's fault. Now at first glance we look at it or the world at least will look at it and say, well, David made a mistake. He's still a good man. David was a good man. David was a man after God's own heart. David was a righteous man. David wanted to go to heaven. He wanted to please God. But David committed adultery, destroyed a marriage, he murdered a man, and he caused an innocent child to die. We can't overlook that. Now, did David repent? Absolutely. Did he mean it? Yes. He did mean it. But we need to learn from this. We need to learn from this. 
That's what Romans 15, 4 is all about. We see that within his immediate family, this condemnation showed itself. What about Absalom? Absalom had a brother named Amnon. They had a sister named Tamar. And when we look in 2 Samuel 13, beginning with verse 28, we learn that because Amnon abused his sister, Absalom murdered him. wonder where he learned that. Years later, Absalom turned on his own father. He tried to usurp the throne, 2 Samuel 18, 15. He tried to take the kingdom away from David. Do you remember how he done it? This ties all the way back to having idle hands. He sat in the gate. And do you remember what they said about Absalom? He stole the heart of the people. How did he do it? By talking. By gossiping. By doing all those things that if he had been working... If he had been faithful, none of that would have happened. He stole the heart of the people. Let me tell you about David. Let me, let me tell you some things you need to know about David. Now, I don't mean to cause any trouble, but David did this and David did that, and he had idle hands and he's making calls, and however they made calls back in that day, and he caused problems. And despite all of that, when Absalom lost his life, 2 Samuel 18, 33, David still mourned for his son. Now let's remember what was told him. The sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you've taken the wife of Uriah for your wife. Absalom tried to steal the throne and he was murdered and David grieved. He was hurt. When we sin against God and those around us, we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. And we will always pay for the sins we commit. Hosea said, For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. Hosea 8.7 Paul later warned, he said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. Galatians 6 verse 7. What was David reaping? He was reaping what he sowed. Do we feel sorry for David? Well, our hearts ought to be breaking for him. Just as they ought to be breaking for Absalom, for Uriah, for Bathsheba, for the innocent child, for everybody that was hurt because of this sin. And it can all go right back to that sin. But that doesn't mean he didn't do it. Sin will be punished. Whether it's in this life, and it will most certainly be punished in the next. David did not see the crown as he was walking on that rooftop. He could not see the consequences of his actions. But there's something else that he did not see until it was too late. He could not see the counsel of God. It had been there 
all the time. I want us to notice that there are at least two things that David should have seen that day that would have helped him to avoid what happened. What about Moses? Do you think David knew a little bit about Moses? Certainly he did. He should have seen that Moses, by faith, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, for a short period of time. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater uh, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. When Moses came to the age of understanding, he said, I'm going to follow God. I'm not going to enjoy this short period of time that is in, enjoyable. If it wasn't, sin wouldn't be a problem. I'm going to do what's right. David should have realized that the consequences would never be worth the enjoyment. He should have seen what Joseph saw. We remember Joseph. Back in Genesis 39 verse 7, it's recorded how Potiphar's wife day by day tried to encourage that young man to sin with her. He said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sin against God first and foremost, and I'm not going to sin against my master. She tempted him day by day, yet he refused her advances. And even though his faithfulness caused him to be put into prison, and caused some very terrible things to happen to him, he did not give in. You remember what he said? He said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? Of course, to his credit, David did repent. 2 Samuel eleven thirteen. He saw that. Now there are some very important things that we need to see from this study of King David and what he didn't see. We need to be on guard. We need to be ready. We must never fall for the devil's lies that this is okay or that's okay. I don't want to cause any trouble, but that's a devil's lie. I can't get up before 2 o'clock in the day. can't go to work. That's okay. That's a devil's lie. The consequences aren't going to be that bad. That's a devil's lie. We have to guard our hearts carefully. Solomon said, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23 James said, Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. Why? For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither doth He tempt anyone. We need to see one sin often leads to another. Just as David's sin with Bathsheba led him to murder Uriah. That's a problem. Sin has a rippling effect. And it will damage. It will destroy. That's what it does. When we're tempted to sin, we must stop. We need to count the cost. See, David didn't count the cost. Whether it is ever known in this life or not, God knows. God knows. If we count the cost of sin, we'll see see the urgency to get away from it just like Joseph did. Just like David should have, 2 Timothy 2.22. 
But we're also warned, test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every appearance of evil. Now we have to understand what that means. Someone will say that us meeting on the first day of the week is the appearance of evil. That's what the Sabbatarians believe. That's not what he's talking about. He says every form of evil. The longer we remain in a dangerous situation, the harder it is to avoid the temptation. See, we see that in what David did. He didn't get out of there. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. But there is a positive from this. David said, I've sinned. He wanted that taken care of. He didn't want to live in sin. David was a good man. But he made some grievous, terrible, ungodly mistakes. And the reply to his truly sincere statement, though, from the lips of Nathan the prophet, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. We can put away sin. We can be what we need to be. We can obey the gospel plan of salvation. We can believe and repent. We can confess the name of our Lord. We can be immersed in water. We can come up to walk in a new life and we can live just the way God wants us to live. When we make mistakes, we can change that. We can change that. We can see what David saw once he came to himself. We can say, I've sinned. We can change that. And we can become what God wants us to be. If repentance is desired, restoration can be had. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation this morning, as we've noticed the things that David did not see, let us consider that as we stand and as we sing. He will bear you gently, gently to his fold. See him soul and open. I am Lord. Why keep Jesus waiting? Waiting at the door of Tinnacut softly, softly o'er and o'er. Hear him soul and open. I am Lord. Why keep Jesus? waiting, knocking at the door, soon he'll say his place.